first week of January of this year, we began an 11-month series entitled Discovering the Mission of God. You know, preachers decide what they preach in different ways. I know of preachers that decide on Saturday night what they're going to preach the next day. I know of preachers that come to church unprepared, and they just expect a word from the Lord. Uh, okay, that's, that's the way some approach it. One of the approaches I've taken over the years is to try and preach in, in series. Uh, I remember a good friend of mine who worked here as an interim named Jerry Barber. Jerry would always, about once every six months, have a congregational meeting in which Jerry said, you can say anything you want to and I won't get mad at you. And, and Jerry just wanted to hear from the church. And he shared one time how that uh, one person got up and said, Jerry, you preach way too many series. Can you quit preaching series? And Jerry's like, all right, I appreciate your comment. The next person came up and said, Jerry, you don't preach enough on the family. You need to do a series on the family. Y'all see the problem? Uh, as I've gotten older, and I realize that the length of time I have on this earth is, you know, shorter than it used to be. And the, and the amount of time I have to preach God's Word is shortening. I take what I preach far more seriously than perhaps in the past. And while it may not have made sense why I focused on discovering the mission of God this entire year, I, I hope that it'll make more sense as we go into 2023. Think about that, 2023. I've been trying to set up for next year. Because next year is, is a topic that I think is the most important topic that those of us who preach can preach. And I'll be introducing it January 1st of this next year. But we've been looking at this mission of God. We, we started the year all the way back in Exodus. When God came down on the mountain with Moses and basically said, can I tell you who this people is? Who is Israel? And he says, if you'll obey me and keep my covenant, you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He would remind them over in the book of Deuteronomy that he didn't choose them because of their size. In fact, they were the least among the nations. But instead, it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. Put very simply, I love you because of your great, 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 great grandfather, Abram. A man who, over in Genesis chapter 12, answered the call of God. His dad, Terah, was not a believer in the Lord. He worshipped pagan gods. But when God appeared to Abram and said, I want you to leave your family, your home. I want, to, I want you to go to a land I'll show you. Abram obeyed him. And here in Genesis 12, you have what we call the Abrahamic covenant. A covenant that involves you and me. When God said to Abram, I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all peoples. That's you. That's me. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the way we are blessed through him is very simple in one name, Jesus. You start in Genesis, you go through Malachi, and it's all about one word, Jesus. 
all the, all the messages, all the prophecies, all the praise, everything in what we call the Old Testament points toward one thing, and that is Jesus Christ and what he was going to do to the world. And Jesus would even say this about their father Abraham, one of my favorite texts in all the Bible. You know, sometimes people ask, where does our loved one go when they die? You know, where is that, that person? Where have they gone? And, and we get a glimpse, at least, by Jesus himself as he is describing Abraham and the promise made to him. Notice what he said, John eight fifty six. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And then one of my favorite parts of the entire Bible, he saw it and was glad. In other words, he, he didn't have a clue what God meant when he made the promise. But after he died and he went into the presence of God, God said, can I tell you what I'm planning? And he began to lay it out. And he said, eventually I'm going to send my son. And the day came when his son was born. Jesus was incarnated. Abraham saw it and he was glad. And of course, Jesus then took up the mantle. 30 years later, he would start to preach. And I love this translation from the voice. Rod used the message. I love it, Rod, as well. Thank you. That beautiful reading this morning. But here in the voice, here is Jesus as he begins to preach. At last, the fulfillment of the age has come. It is time for God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. Now, I know that the voice takes some liberty with the text, but boy, it does it right here. Turn your lives back to God and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. And that's what God is calling us to. Jesus would go on, and of course, the very core of that gospel message is real simple. After he had lived, he died. Buried in a grave for three days, and on that third day was raised from the dead. And when you look at this image, and I love this image, the cross in the background, the stone rolled away from the grave, the head cloth folded, laid to the side, all of it indicative of what Jesus did for us. And you know, if you just paused and, and said, okay, so what is the cross all about? Boy, you could preach a year on that one without any problem at all. And then what was the resurrection about? I mean, as Jesus conquered death, as he destroyed the work of Satan, as he began to gather back the people of God. All of that is found in this very simple picture. And so that gospel message was to be sent out into all the world. Jesus says, I want you to go into all the world. This is from the TLV, the Tree of Life, a Jewish translation. Proclaim the good news to every creature. He who believes and is immersed shall be saved. And he who does not believe shall be condemned. We spent several weeks looking at what is the gospel, what is our response to the gospel, and what are the blessings of the gospel. And boy, when I think of baptism, I love this picture. I mean, it depicts it so well. I mean, what is baptism? And of course, a lot of our religious friends will say it's simply a symbolic in, image of a, of a spiritual reality you've already experienced. Let me suggest to you that if you see baptism only as symbolic, you're missing so much of what baptism is. It's like the Lord's Supper. Symbolism? Of course there's symbolism there. But there's so much there. I mean, it's kind of like your wedding ring. Symbolic? Yes. But so much more. Baptism is a death, a burial, a resurrection with Jesus Christ. 
Baptism is the washing away of our sins. It is a spiritual circumcision where we become the children of God. Baptism is this moment we move from the old life to becoming a new creation in Jesus Christ. There is just so much that goes on in this simple act of obedience. And for those of us who have experienced it, there's also this incredible gift called the Holy Spirit. And so for the last several weeks, you know, we come up out of that water and what happens? Satan goes on the offensive. And and Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 describes, you know, how he fights us. I mean, there's the world he comes up against us in. And of course, what do we do when the world assaults us? And the answer is, we fall back to the church. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. We have got to realize that we are a counter-cultural movement. Many of us were raised in a country that had been Christianized. There's no such thing as a Christian nation. The only Christian nation there is, is the church of the living God. We are the only nation that is holy to God. Those of us who have gathered around the world to worship and serve Him. Now, can nations be Christianized? Yes. There can be Christian influence, and a lot of us grew up in that. But if we just pause for a moment, we know that we don't live in that world anymore. America's becoming more and more secularized every day. We see it all around us. We see it on television. We see it on the internet. We see it in our politics. We see it in our neighborhoods. We're becoming a secularized culture. And we have one of two choices. We can fight the culture wars. And I'm all for trying to use honest, legitimate law efforts to keep us close to God. But let me just suggest to you that the answer is not the culture wars. The answer is the kingdom of God. I mean, while we may be out there, and again, I I appreciate those who serve our country, who serves at a national level, state level, local level. I appreciate those who encourage prayer, who encourages good morality. Thank you for your service. But at the same time, the power of God is through His church. That's where the manifold wisdom of God is displayed. And then when the flesh rises up, how do we find it? And the answer is simple, that incredible gift of the Spirit we receive at baptism. And then, of course, Satan himself, that roaring lion who seeks to devour us. I mean, how many times does he put thoughts in your mind just like he does in my mind? And I'm like, well, you get away from me, Satan. I mean, I've become so sensitized to that that I'm like, Satan's attacking me again. And where, where do we go when he attacks? And the answer is simple to the one who disarmed him, destroyed him, and will ultimately destroy him in a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. John reminds us, greater is him who is in you than he who is in the world. And we need to believe that. I don't know how many of you remember the old Mission Impossible series. Tom Cruise, of course, took it and made a big movie franchise out of it. But for those of us who grew up in the 60s, you know, starting around 1966, there was a series every week called Mission Impossible. And in it, the stars of it would all at once receive their mission. I mean, right at the beginning, there would be this recording that they would go to. In fact, here, and I'm trying to... Peter... Actor, Peter Graves. 
Peter, Peter Graves comes up. He goes to this telescope. He opens the side, and in the side is the tape recorder. And he punches the button. And then he goes and looks through it as the film plays, showing him all the characters. And, and, and when he gets through, of course, you have the destruction of the tape. It's, you know, self-destruct. But it always begins with these words. The mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it. God gives us the same charge. Except the mission is not one that saves the world like it did with Mission Impossible. It's one that saves our very souls and the souls of the world. And it's a mission that we have to decide whether or not we're going to accept it. Jesus made it hard. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. They've got to take up their cross. They've got to follow me. We looked at that verse. But it's a verse that in the very middle is the cross. The symbol of death. I know that's not the case today. I mean, we've got crosses in our church buildings. We wear crosses around our neck. We have crosses in our houses. I get it. We've taken the symbol of death and we've made it a symbol of life and victory. I get that. But not in the first century. Anybody who had lived under Roman occupation knew what that was a sign of. And when Jesus said, you need to pick up your cross, he wasn't talking about some type of beautiful piece of jewelry. He was talking about, you need to die to yourself. That's what the cross is all about. Paul, over in Galatians 2.20, a passage that is so powerful. There's so much contained in this one verse. And, and, of course, we made a song out of it. I don't know, Blake, probably 50 years ago, 40 years ago. I remember singing it when I was at Freed Hardman all those years ago. But he says, I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look at these words. I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I'm no longer living. Diedrich Bonhoeffer. 20th century theologian, German, grew up during the period of Nazism. He wrote a book in the late 30s as Hitler was coming to power called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, here's what Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. I don't know if Diedrich Bonhoeffer realized when he wrote those words how true that would be of him. Bonhoeffer was a preacher for the free church. In Germany, you've got Lutheranism, which is its primary faith, and you had Catholicism, and then you had a movement called the free church, which was neither Catholic nor Lutheran, kind of an independent movement. And and Bonhoeffer was this amazing theologian who believed in the Bible so powerfully. He left... Germany in about 1939, came to New York to visit America. He was offered a preaching position. He could have stayed in New York and avoided the war completely. But Bonhoeffer decided, no, somebody's got to go back to Germany. Somebody's got to speak out against Hitler. Somebody has to stand up for Jesus Christ. Someone may have to die. Bonhoeffer made it himself. 
He went back to Germany, went underground, began to work everything he could against Hitler and what the Nazis were doing. After the Valkyrie attempt at assassinating Hitler occurred, which he was a part of, he was among those arrested. Because he was clergy, they sent him to prisons with all other clergy that had been arrested. Bonhoeffer knew at some point in time he would die. And sure enough, as the Third Reich began to fall on April the 9th, just a few weeks before Hitler himself would commit suicide, a doctor who worked there at the prison was attending to the execution of the prisoners. And here's what he wrote about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, April the 9th, 1945. I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor praying fervently to God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed the few steps to the gallows. Brave and composed, his death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I had hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. I bought a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer several years ago. I listened to the story of his life, audiobooks, what I got. And when it came to this story right here of his death, I just wept as I drove in my car. As this man who believed so much in God, stripped of his clothes, marched naked out into the, into the courtyard, brought to the gallows, and the gallows weren't, weren't a rope, the gallows were made out of piano strings. I want you to think about that. And there he gave his life for the cause he had lived for. When we give our life, God calls us to come and die. And for some of us, it won't be death like Bonhoeffer. It'll be a daily death. One of the biggest struggles I have is every day to get up in the morning and to remind myself that today is a day that belongs to God. To die to my desires, to die to my wants, and to live for His. I haven't gotten there yet. And so if you're thinking, wow, I've, I've not, I'm not able to do that. Listen, a lot of us are not able to do that. I do some days better than others. But what Jesus calls us to is to die every day. You go over to Galatians 2.20 again, and notice the next phrase there, but Christ lives in me. Trying to let Jesus come alive in us. So that when we look in the mirror, I, I remember several years ago getting up one morning, looking in the mirror, and seeing my dad staring back at me. Any of y'all ever experienced that? That is one scary feeling. I mean, I looked in that mirror and I jumped back and I thought, that was my dad. And, and you know, if, if I could look in a mirror and see anything staring back at me, most of all, and I think you're probably the same way, I'd want to see Jesus. Probably awful faint some days. Some days barely a shadow there. And yet that's what he calls us to be. Christ living in us. Romans 8.29, Paul would say in this beautiful text that the goal of God, the purpose of God, was to predestine us so that we become the image of God. The image of Christ. 
That when we go out those doors out there, that what people see is not me or you. What people see is Jesus Christ. What people see is, is acts of kindness, words of comfort. What they see is someone radically different. I don't know about you, I've had a handful of moments in my life, just a handful. But a handful of moments of where I've done something just at the spur of the moment where someone would pause and say, are you a Christian? To which I would go, yes, I am. I thought so. Not as often as they need to be. And I suspect you can relate to that. But that's what God's wanting. It's people who are so different from the world that people see that difference and go, what is it about you that is so different? You don't act like anyone else, at least in the world. And that's because of Jesus. He finished by saying, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's what motivates me more than anything. And it's because he loved me, he gave himself for me. Boy, that last phrase, you're talking about the cross coming alive. That's where the power of the cross comes alive because that's what he did for you and what he did for me. So Jesus gives us two options. And that's it. And, And every one of us will walk out of here this morning following one of these two options. Number one, to deny Jesus and follow self. Now, when I say deny Jesus, I don't mean literally say, I'm not going to do it, Jesus. Oftentimes, our denial of Jesus is simply ignoring the fact that he's here. I know this week, we were at the house, and we were talking, and we got to telling funny stories, and some of the funny stories were about June. We have to be real careful when we do that. But me and my boys were telling funny stories about their mother. When June finally spoke up and says, y'all do know I'm sitting right here, right? And we're like, yes, that's why we're telling the stories. I think sometimes Jesus kind of looks at us and says, you do know I'm sitting right here, right? I mean, you can't ignore me, but we try. And the other option is to deny ourselves and choose to follow our King, Jesus Christ. I pray for our president. I pray for our governor. I pray for our legislatures. I pray for our judges. I pray for all of those in position of authority. But I serve King Jesus. That's who we've got to serve. That countercultural has got to be so great that we say it is Jesus to whom all loyalty goes. And then Mark would add something powerful and for the gospel. I mean, I love that, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, for the good news, for the story that transforms the world, are we going to lose our life for that story? And so the mission of God wasn't just for Israel or Jesus or the apostles or the New Testament church. That mission we've been looking at all year is for us. I mean, that's who it's been given to. And because of that, we need to realize that Jesus says, Peace be with you, and as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I came into the world, I'm sending you into the world to make a difference in the world. We too have a mission. I love what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul, as as he's reflecting on his life, I want you to look at the first phrase up there. Though I am free and belong to no one. Isn't that the American call? 
Isn't that that what Americans want? I want to be free, and I don't want to be responsible or belong to anyone. And so most people, if you just put out that phrase, they'd say, yes, I want that bumper sticker on my car, because that's the way I am. I want to be free, and I don't want to be responsible or answerable to anyone. But look at what Paul says. I've made myself a slave to everyone. That's hard. Because I've got to be honest with you, there's a lot of people I, want to be, I don't want to be a slave to. I don't want to have to serve. A slave? Yes, not, not a servant, but a slave. And notice why. To win as many as possible. And so when you're sitting down at the restaurant, you're not getting the service you should get. Instead of complaining to the manager, you try to understand or even know the name of the person who's serving you. Can I ask you to do me a favor today? One of, one of my greatest weaknesses in my sermons is not take-home things. I mean, when, when people criticize my pre- preaching, one of the valid criticisms is you don't give us enough to take home and put into practice. Can I give you something to put in practice today? you're going to a restaurant today, and many of you I know are, you're tired of cooking, you're tired of, you know, eating leftovers. You know, June looked at me yesterday and said, what are we going to do with this leftover turkey? And I said, throw it away. I'm tired of leftovers. Can I ask you to get to know the name of the man or the woman who serves you and call them by name? Thank them for their service? Well, what if their service is not good? Be kind to them. I mean, if you go to the grocery store and the line's slow, spend time in prayer. If you get in your car and the person in front of you don't move as fast as you'd like, don't jump on your horn. Now, again, I get frustrated. I get it. You know, and I, and I sometimes mess up. But can we be people who make our slave, ourselves slaves to everyone in the hope that we'll win someone? Not everyone. We'll never win everyone. But will you try just to win someone for Jesus Christ? He goes on, he says, To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. He said, now I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under the law of Christ, but I'm not under the Mosaic law anymore. But when I'm around Jews who are, guess what? I act like them. I identify with them. He goes on and he says, by the way, to those not having the law, Gentiles like you and me, he said, I eat catfish. I eat barbecue, pork, okay? I mean, you got to see what Paul's saying here. I become like them. He says, why? Because I want to win those who are not under the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak. Most of us don't want to become weak. We don't want to say, okay, let's do it your way. We don't want to say, okay, maybe maybe your idea here is a lot better. We want to be strong. Strength is is what we want to be. And yet here's Paul saying, With those who are weak, you need to become weak. I'm not there yet. Not by a long shot. But as my years draw more and more toward the end, I'm reminded of my dear mentor, whose funeral I preached this last summer. When I talked to him, he had asked me to come and see him. He was going to ask me to do his funeral. He said, Les, all I do is tell as many people as I can about Jesus. 
and I knew he was telling the truth. He was in a nursing home. He was in hospice care. And yet every person that came in heard about Jesus. And that's what I think we need to realize, and I hope that we do it before we're put in hospice care. I hope we do it because it's who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, 23, Paul said, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And I've left it blank for a simple reason. Can you write your name in this verse? Instead of it being Paul, is it you? Can it be you? And then the more important question is not can it be you, but will it be you? We begin next Sunday to celebrate the coming of Jesus. We'll spend the entire month of December doing that. But on January 1st, and by the way, January 1st is a Sunday this year. Uh, You know, uh, it's a very special one. And on January 1st, we're going to be talking about how can we be Jesus to this community. And I hope that it'll be a challenging series of lessons. I hope it'll transform this church. I hope it'll transform me. And I hope it'll transform you. As we buy into, I pray, the call of God, where we'll write our names into those verses. I don't know where you are today. I don't know of any better way to finish the week of Thanksgiving, to prepare for the month of celebrating the coming of Jesus, than to give your life to Jesus. If you have a need to do that, to be buried with him in baptism, we'd be honored to help you with that. If you have other needs that we can assist, why don't you let us know what they are. Why don't you come right now as we stand and sing.